Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news and trash from a feminist perspective. My name is Katie Winton. And I'm Tanya Ali. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land and I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land we broadcast on and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and would like to honour that history. Today we're really stoked to be chatting to Melbourne Garage pop trio Empat Lima. They reduced their debut album Cling Clang Clutter just last week and they're launching it tonight at Golden Age Cinema and Bar. So Empat Lima are pretty vocal about how inspired they are um, from women in the music industry before them and we're really yeah, stoked to be hearing more from them in maybe about half an hour. Yeah. Um, we are also going to be hearing a piece by Agenda content contributor Levant Dilsis, uh, who explored the idea of post-genderism and what it would mean to live in a sexless and genderless world. Uh, this week in news, Scarlett Johansson came under fire for her response to criticism about playing the role of Dante Tex Gill, who is a trans man in the upcoming film Rub and Tug. So Rub and Tug is based on the life of Gill, who ran a string of Pittsburgh um, massage parlours in the 70s and by modern definitions kind of lived their life as a transgender man as recounted by their own obituary. It's not actually the first time that Johansson has come across criticism for taking roles that could have gone to an actor with the identity that they were trying to represent. You might remember the controversy when Johansson was cast as a main character in the Hollywood take on anime Ghost in the Shell last year. So this time, um, after trans writer E. Oliver Whitney pointed out the problem with casting Johansson, she said to Bustle, tell them that they can be directed to Jeffrey Tambor, uh, Jared Leto and Felicity Huffman's reps for comment, which really dismisses the fact that the transgender community has been loudly critical of these kinds of casting moves for ages and that the criticism has fallen largely on deaf ears by Hollywood. Yeah, in the words of executive executive editor for them magazine, Meredith uh, Tullison, uh, the major argument for why cis people should be able to play trans roles is simply that it's an actor's job to inhabit the life of a person that's different to their own. So in theory, any actor should be able to play any role as long as they are believable in the part. But I, I don't know, I feel like this, is, this kind of isn't how things work in practice because cisgender actors like already have a lot of layers of advantage when it comes to doing well for themselves in Hollywood like there's already a specific kind of um, role that is quite successful in Hollywood and I think this kind of applies to a lot of different intersections of identity Um, and it's only really by casting trans actors in those roles that the entertainment industry can begin to address that these structural structural problems exist so I don't know I feel like yeah if trans people are not deemed qualified or talented enough to portray their own experiences it becomes pretty impossible to envision a world where actors can be, where trans actors can be on equal footing with cis actors. Yeah, and as we've seen with Laverne Cox, Jamie Clayton, Elliot Fletcher and more, the only way that trans people have been able to make inroads in Hollywood has been to play trans roles. So casting a cis actor in a trans part means that the industry is closed off even further to people who already have multiple and systemic disadvantages when it comes to achieving success in film. 
So basically, Scarlett, <laughs> stop taking yeah. stop taking the roles. Um, <laughs> also in news this week, we learned that misandry is in fact the opposite of misogyny, thanks to David Lionhelm. <laughs> um, you may have seen this news over the last week. So there was a debate happening in Parliament on women's safety following recent attacks. And <laughs> Senator David Lionhelm told Greens Senator Sarah Hansen-Young to stop shagging men. And then he told her to fuck off when she confronted him about it. So <laughs> apparently the comments were made during a vote on a motion uh, about arming women with tasers to combat violence, like following yeah, recent attacks um, in, in the news about people's safety. Uh, can we hear a little <laughs> bit of his commentary? Because I feel like there are so many great takeaways. There's Please. a lot of wisdom coming from yeah. Senator Lineham. Let's listen to him now. She chooses to take offence. That's her business. It's not my concern. I won't be apologising to her. In fact, uh, really she ought to be apologising to the men of Australia for her misandry. You know, she's a misandrist. That's, that's the uh, equivalent of a misogynist, only it's directed at men. She blames men for, uh, for the actions of individual men. She's called them morons and pigs. Um, she infers, uh, if not outright says, that they're all rapists. And uh, so she's got some apologising to do, in my opinion. <laughs> I love... I feel like infers and outright says are kind of, like, pretty different things. <laughs> um, also, I really love how he says it's her problem for being offended when he's, like, literally explaining how he's offended the whole time and that she should apologise to him. Like, it's it's really A-plus uh, content. Oh, Katie, I think you're not taking her misandry seriously enough. In case you didn't catch it before, misandry is the equivalent of misogyny only directed at man. I think we should really take this opportunity on agenda this morning to apologise to the men of Australia on behalf of Sarah Hanson Young <laughs> for a misandrous behaviour. Oh. <laughs> um, do you have anything you'd like to say to David Lionhelm? We're conducting a very serious public debate on agenda here this morning, so please text us on 0409 945 945 if you've got a rebuttal, rebuttal to his commentary and we'll pass on the message and we'll let you know <laughs> next week what he says. <laughs> Let's get him in. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like we can just send him an email or something. <laughs> like, that's fine. <laughs> I feel like someone should do a mashup of all of his wild comments in one of those like Pauline Pants Down style songs. There there are just so many highlights. Yeah, I particularly love when he <laughs> calls the Prime Minister a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, stay tuned for our next DJ set. I'm sure we'll have some, yeah, really good mashups to, <laughs> to play for you on a dance floor. <laughs> um, in other news, if you're in Sydney on this coming Wednesday night, the premiere of... Uh, or well, the Sydney premiere, sorry, of Her Sound, Her Story is happening at event cinemas on George Street. So Her Sound, Her Story is a documentary highlighting the incredible women working in the Australian music industry. So it features interviews with over 40 women uh, and people. It's a really interesting narrative that's brimming with individuality, strength and creativity. Our producer Mari got to check out the Melbourne screening last year and said it was a really beautiful look at the personal experiences of women in the Australian music industry. Mari said the room was full of women in the industry, including many who were actually in the film, um, which made it a really special and intimate experience with a real sense of camaraderie. It sounds like there's a lot of big heart energy in this Yes! Film. Yes! <laughs> um, I'm really excited, and I think that, yeah, the screening will be pretty similar, hopefully. So tickets are still available, um, and we'll pop a link up on our program page if you want to grab one. I think it's at Event Cinemas on George Street. Yeah, yep. exactly. And I'm super excited to be chatting to Michelle Grace Hunter and and Claudia San Giorgi Dalimore, who are the directors of Her Santa Story next week uh, on Monday Arvo. So tune in at 4pm on Monday if you want to hear more.
Uh, speaking of incredible people in the music industry, Rainbow Chan just released her new track, Promises. So in an interview with Noisy, Rainbow said, this song is about the promise of a new city, the promise of escaping, the promise of an emoji someone sends you and you're like, oh my God, they like me. But really, we're all just a little bit lost. Really wise words from Rainbow on that. So relatable. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around for thoughts that count up next. This is Promises by Rainbow Chan. What shall we Jeans and a t-shirt, heavy on your ears. And inside your pockets, a backpack full of gear. Walk down the street, you finished work at eight. Stop to light a cigarette, you waited for me at the gates.
today's show has been curated by Music New South Wales to showcase women in electronic music. Mezco there with They Like, We Like. What if we lived in a society where gender didn't exist? Uh, we're going to go into Thoughts Account now. Thoughts That Count. Agenda on FBI Radio. This week for Thoughts That Count, Agenda content contributor Levent Dilsis uh, is an emerging artist and writer who is interested in exploring the complex existence uh, of being human. Just a small feat. Uh, so for Thoughts That Count this week, Lev explores the idea of a post-gender world. What if we lived in a society where gender didn't exist? 
where the oftentimes restrictive gendered social customs, expectations, and expressions in regards to being a man, woman, or any individual did not exist. Furthermore, imagine living in a society where sex didn't exist, and everybody, regardless of chromosomes, could bear a child. Imagine living in a post-gender world. Whilst this is far off of the evolutionary capacity of the human body, a genderless and sexless world is one that is surprisingly close for humans. In their speculations of post-genderism, George Dorsky and James Hughes state that technology is eroding the biological, psychological, and social role of gender, and that the erosion of binary gender will be freeing for humans. I discussed this idea with Sam Bruce, an agender, non-binary, pansexual individual throughout this piece. Would you say that your own identity is in any way post-gender? Um, yeah, actually, it's really funny that you asked that. The first introduction I had to any kind of non-binary gender stuff um, was through a term called, um, well, kind of called homosexual, which was called a postmodern sexual identity. Um, and in that, I kind of was like, oh, well, I like this because it means I don't have to have a gender identity, too. Um, so I definitely would classify it that way, yeah. One way science and technology is making a genderless utopia increasingly probable is through the development of in vitro gametogenesis. In 2006, Japanese researchers made a major breakthrough. They found that adult body cells can be returned into an IPS cell state. An IPS cell is a type of cell that can be grown into almost any other cell type in the human body, including egg and sperm. And what do egg and sperm make? A baby. This science is revolutionary and opens so many new possibilities, including the possibility of making a baby that is biologically related to two people of the same sex. This science completely transcends common cisnormative beliefs that binary gender exists with a function to merely procreate. This transcends common beliefs of gender. This is post-gender. To what extent do you think biology is related to transcending binary definitions of gender? Um, I mean, obviously, separate. Like, you have to separate that from medicalizing identity. Um, but I think that that science is very important in allowing people to express their identity and express what they want out of their life, or just in general. Now, you might ask where this newly formed embryo from same-sex parents can develop. Of course, a surrogate parent is always an option, though even this might become redundant as biotechnology advances. You might remember the viral video of a lamb growing inside an artificial womb from about a year ago. A light pink feeble animal, eyes closed in peace, inside what looks like a plastic bag filled with water with some tubes running in and out. This Ziploc bag resembling machine is referred to as the bio bag. It's important to note that in the bio bag was a lamb that was born prematurely and put into the system in order to complete its development, and largely the technology is being developed to help support babies born prematurely. Alan Flake, the fetal surgeon at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and researcher behind the machine, said that it's complete science fiction to think that you can take an embryo and get it through the early developmental process and put it on the bio bag without the mother being a critical element there. Though science fiction, as we have learnt throughout recent history, has been a self-fulfilling prophecy, allowing us to speculate that maybe these artificial wombs will eventually make the human womb redundant. 
This once again eliminates the idea that gender exists to merely support human procreation. Whilst gender is not biological, common perception that it is rooted in biological categories that define how humans procreate are completely undermined when looking at these technologies. Yeah, I mean, because the binary that we have right now is so strict about things like reproduction, right? And so being able to move past that into, well, anyone who wants to have children can have children in the way that makes sense for them, it, it means that that binary loosens a little bit. <laughs> Moving away from science and technology now, and instead focusing on the rising visibility of identities that could be considered, like Sam does theirs, as post-gender, Alok V. Manon is a gender non-conforming performance artist, writer, and general fashion icon. Looking at their Instagram, you'll see a fearless individual rocking facial and body hair, colourful makeup, and what would be traditionally categorised as women's garments. Their expression in every way is gender non-conforming. Alok has a blog post called Ending the Gender Binary Helps Everyone. This sentiment is surprisingly similar to Dorsey and Hughes, who I mentioned earlier, who said that the erosion of binary gender will be liberatory. In this post, Alok says something incredibly poignant. They say that the gender binary is a system of power that values its reproduction over our realities, its supremacy over our stories, its universality over our uniqueness. They go on saying that they want a world where gender is respected as a story, not just a word. One where we understand that it means a fundamentally different thing for one person to be a woman than another. Where we recognise that there is no one way to be a man. This thought is once again post-gender. A lock is rallying for our humanity's binary definition of gender to be transcended into something greater and more inclusive of the complexity of human experience. Would you say post-gender thought conflicts or balances with your own identity? Does it invalidate trans identities in any way? I don't think so. I think that um, you can believe that the world should be one way while still acknowledging the way that it is. And we do live in a world where changing or presenting in a way that, that challenges people's ideas about you or, you know, being outside of the binary or being outside of what people, you know, see as quote unquote normal or mainstream becomes something that is worth identifying as a part of your identity because it is an experience that you have. Um, And I think believing that the world should move to a more post-gender structure is, is a separate thing from that. That was Agenda contributor Levant Dilsa's piece on post-genderism. Stick around because up next we'll be chatting to Carla and Steph from Empath Lima. The Melbourne band just released their album Cling Clang Clutter and they're bringing their national tour to Golden Age Cinema and Bar tonight to take you there. This is Clipso with Pop Roll Flow.
politics and news from a feminist perspective. You're listening to Agenda.
You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio 94.5 FM. And Fat Lima, uh, a beat garage trio from Melbourne. Over their five-year span, they have participated in 24-hour art installations, played with Indonesian post-punk heroes in rice fields, and inadvertently induced labour <laughs> with their music. They've just released their debut album, Cling Clang Clutter, and they're here in the studio right now. Welcome, Carla and Steph. Thank you so Hello. much. Uh, we're going to come back to the inadvertently induced labour with your music in a little bit, but I just thought I'd start by um, asking you about the three-year process of making this album because it's been a three-year journey. Yeah. Um, so I guess three years ago we went into recording with... What did we do first? Um, we went to Phaedra Studios with John Lee and made... Cantaloupe. Yeah. And... We did a few other versions that we didn't end up keeping from that recording. Yeah, but it was really fun. It was a really nice studio. and um, But, yeah, it was three years ago. It's hard to really remember. But we decided, well, you know, things happen. Like, we're not very intense. We're not very uh, active band. Like, we, we go through intense periods and then have massive breaks. So after we did that, Suji went to the desert and worked for six months. And then we came back together again and did some recordings with our other friends in just a rough studio, the bank. Yep. Did many things change from the start of, like, I don't know, I feel like if I was to write a song three years, not that I write songs, but like (laughs) if I had three years ago and I was, you know, kind of going through that process and releasing it now, like, I feel like I would have had different thoughts or opinions or feelings or maybe musical influences. Like, were there many changes in that? span of yeah, time yeah absolutely um so that's why we redid a few of the songs yeah <laughs> so we thought oh we can get get this better i think yeah. it was yeah, it was also about testing out different spaces and what spaces were going to suit which song as well because we have a real variety of styles on our album and like in the in the kind of slick studio the like the fire dragon track wasn't going to work. It was just like it needed to be in this raw little garage space, which is where we ended up yeah. recording that. Going straight to tape. Yeah. We kept stuffing up. Using a lot of compression on a tape, <laughs> tape reel recorder. Your bio says that you draw on diverse influences uh, like the sounds of psychedelic Thai, traditional Japanese epics and dreamy Indonesian pop. Um, do these influences kind of come from personal experiences? Or where do they um, come from? They come from community radio because hey. it's just so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just, um, you know, it, we're just so lucky. We just hear so much stuff and it's really hard not to bring it in and get excited about it. Um, so, yeah, thanks <laughs> to you guys and especially you know of course in, in Melbourne we've got PBS and Triple R and 3CR we listen to them a lot um, Suji and Carla both studied in Indonesia back five years ago before we started so that was a big influence they were bringing music from those areas and you know just parties people getting excited and sharing different kinds of music um, You also mentioned that you've been inspired by great women in music before you who are some of these inspirations? Well, we started off looking up to Darapus Peter with the Indonesian or girl group from the 60s and we learnt one of their songs. That was the first time we played together. I'd never met the bass player until we played in the same room and we learnt how to play a go-go, which is this really fun 
like party, like festive song. And been listening to a bit of ESG since being in the band as well, which are another real group of, of we amazing all, women. We went to their concert. Went to the concert. Day. I got their T-shirt <laughs> in my bag, actually. Um. <laughs> Um, but yeah, of the whole spectrum, it's funny. Like I, I yeah, I guess because this shows agenda. Like um, when I was a kid, I had so many musical heroes, and they were all men. Like I made a point when I was a little girl of like just liking men, mainly folk singers, like and rock and rollers. And then I went through this big revolutionary thing when I discovered Patti Smith and Kate Bush when I was like early teenager. And then it was like Salt and Pepper, and then. But anyway, now it's um. People like Carla, I really admire. She's oh. really busy. <laughs> she does heaps of cool projects, um, and yeah, and we're surrounded by lots of other. Do you all kind of have other projects that you work on while you're not working on your music together? Yeah, the other project that I work on is called Biscotti. It's yeah, been running it for a while now, and it's had a few different incarnations. Did a national tour, what, 2017, when I released um, my debut album with that project and also played Golden Age, actually. Oh, huge. So I've been on the stage there before. Yeah, that's the... And then, actually, I do a lot of improvised music as well. There's, like, a scene in Melbourne uh, that kind of revolves around Make It Up Club. It happens every Tuesday. It's been running for, like, 35 years or something. And I quite often get invited to do little collaborations down there. Yeah, which what's, is really fun. What's the premise of Make It Up Club? Is it self-explanatory? <laughs> yeah, a well, it's an, it's, an improvised, <laughs> yeah. it's an improvised night. And you can get all different kinds of musicians down there, not, not just jazz improv, but, you know, from electronic backgrounds and also just creative backgrounds, people who are willing to get up there and... Yeah, and reincorporate visual stuff into it too. They, um, It's quite slightly curated, like they, they sort of pair up different artists and you're meant to just go and make it up but sometimes people get together beforehand and <gasps> scheme something. People cheat. Exactly. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. They rehearse. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. That does sound like such an awesome premise though. Um, on Indonesia, I mean you've mentioned it a little bit and your band name is a reference to 1945, um, the year that Indonesia declared independence from the Dutch. I'm interested yeah. to know what made cool. you choose this name. <laughs> um, yeah, that's well, pretty much the, all things like that. Um, you know, and four, four, five, we were just like, I think um, there was a few different things that came into it because, like, we were also covering a five, six, seven, eight song, <laughs> um, and forty-five, like the record, we we're, we're going to make a record, and I think we were just, you know, blah, putting words in our mouths, like what sounds good and. Um, and we just made the name, and now that was five years ago. Just kind of stuck. And now, yeah. <laughs> now, we we actually were going to change it. I remember we were going to change it because we felt like. we'd really veered off from the Indonesian influence, but we couldn't think of another name. People thought that it was an anagram of Tame Impala for a while, <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't notice that. <laughs> There's yeah. actually one letter missing, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you glance at it quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Experimental. Um, We're pretty intrigued by your claim to have inadvertently induced labour with your music. Can you tell us? I mean, give us the backstory. Yeah. Um, 
It's pretty much exactly oh no no about ten months ago. <laughs> Um, And I wonder if Suji's listening at home because she couldn't come along to the interview because she's um, back in the the flat with Tommy, the new arrival. So we made a film clip um, to the song Cynthia, which is a song that I wrote in a dream. Just, just, you know, silly, tiny little pop song. It's the shortest song on the album about um, getting pregnant and how that would affect your rock and roll lifestyle. And... um, so we wrote that and we started playing it and then Suji got pregnant. That then it made a flurry of activity because we were like, Okay, things are gonna change, let's put out a song, let's do something before the baby let's comes. Let's get all the recording finished. You were like, All right, let's re- finish recording the album before the baby comes. Yeah. So, so like cool. gonna happen. Hot deadline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then so we um finished the album and decided we'd make a film clip for, for Cynthia, the shortest song. So we went to the pub um, and started shooting this film clip and um, Suji'd hide the camera and everything and we did the clip like we were doing a few live takes in the clip um, and then, um, yeah, that night Suji went into labour and gave birth like 30 hours later. She was in the film clip. She was in well. the film clip. She's in the film clip playing. It's a really, um, it's kind of a good uh, document for us because in the film clip we decided for some reason that I would play Cynthia, Suji she would play like my dad, an old man. Or something. So she's really pregnant, and if you watch the clip, but she's dressed up as a man. She's dressed with up a belly, as a man, like a, like a beer belly. Big beer belly. Pregnant woman actually with a beer belly. And <laughs> and Carla's um, plays the boyfriend. Oh Oh, I meant the boyfriend. Oh, yeah. That's what I, I thought it was just the bar. I thought you were the hot bar guy. Oh, the hot bar guy. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with the boyfriend. <laughs> and yeah, Steph's right. mum's in the clip as well. Yeah, it's actually. a family So affair. it's really, truly Little intergenerational. Friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the actual true father is in the clip as well as Suji's pal. Yeah. That's amazing. We'll pop a yeah. link up to that film clip on the agenda. Apparently, my family video clip. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's like the tin lids. <laughs> if you have just tuned into Agenda on FBI Radio, we're chatting with Melbourne Ben and Fat Lima about their new album, Cling Clang Clutter. Stick around to hear about their performance tonight at the Golden Age Cinema and Bar. But we're going to go to a track from Fat Lima's new album. This one's called Moon cake just quickly what should we know about this song um it was really fun to make actually we made a lot of weird noises in the background mm. it's a celebration song it's um about when the moon is full and fat and ready and you take a slice of the new new season new moon new cycle great Give a love for a sweet 
tuned in to Agenda uh, on FBI Radio. And right now we're speaking to Steph Brett and Carla Ori, who make up Empath Lima, uh, a beat garage trio based in Melbourne. Uh, so you, along with Suji, are playing tonight at the Golden Age Cinema and Bar to launch your debut album, Clink Clank Clutter. Yes. Uh, what can you tell listeners to expect if they've never seen you live before? Oh, well, uh, we'll play the songs and... <laughs> well, I don't want to give too much away, but we will play the songs. Um, <laughs> uh, we played a nice gig last night. No, the night before in Cerule. People were dancing. They were um, doing some cool moves. Um, <laughs> when I saw your other band, there was a lot of synchronised dancing. Oh, yeah. Um, we have some synchronised... <laughs> Um, singing. Yeah, we have oh, a yeah. synchro- well, you know, Sujinite, we, a bit of synchronised guitar moves. I guess um, there would be a few or a lot of people that consider us like, you know, a live, a live band. Like, we've played a lot of gigs more than we've released in a way. So I think our shows are... It's the energy of the shows and... Like, oh, it's a way better than a record. Yeah. Do you prefer <laughs> playing shows to... Yeah. Well, like we're not a re- we're not a recording band, really. We're a live band, so you've got to see it live. You must. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Definitely get along. And it's the show is supported by Sydney artist Julia Y, which is exciting. Um, who else have you had supporting your tour so far? Um, do you know the Nah from yes. Wollongong? Oh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they I were do. great. <laughs> they were really cool. Yeah. So they 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 were there at um, Frank's Wild Years on Thursday, which is such a nice place i really enjoy that yeah it was a magical little place to turn up to in the evening there yeah and then in brisbane we had julia anderson another julia yeah (laughs) she was amazing great wow yeah great local artists from brizzy and we had this other um group called soot which is um members from the goonsacks and they were just wild Really unique, improvised. Not improvised, but it sounded improvised. It was so fresh, so um, complicated. So complicated, intricate, that it sounds like they couldn't have possibly thought it up and practised it. (laughs) Maybe they did it at the makeup club? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Is it a paid show tonight? It's free entry. Free entry, Amazing. And... Got nothing to lose. Yeah. Only things to gain from seeing you. Um, thank you so much for joining us on Agenda today. Uh, you can catch Empath Lima tonight with their brand new album, Cling Clang Clutter, at the Golden Age Cinema and Bar, supported by Julia Y. And as you've just heard, it's free entry and kicks off at 10pm, following The Exorcist, actually. Yeah. Um, Classic cult horror film from 1973. <laughs> so if The Exorcist inspires a particular urge to dance... You it, can uh, go straight really from does, one yeah. to the other. If you need to be calmed down after the exorcist. I think it's a good combo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Shakes off the, you know, horror vibes yeah. into a nice dance floor space. Yeah.